and welcome to the Canine Conservationist Podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every week to discuss ecology, odor dynamics, dog behavior, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I am a co-founder of Canine Conservationists, where we train dogs to detect data for researchers, agencies, and NGOs. Right up top, you may notice my voice sounds a little funny. I apologize. I've got a little bit of a cold, but we are sticking to the recording schedule because otherwise we are not going to stick to our publishing schedule. Um, So we do apologize for that. Today, I have the joy of talking to Rachel Hamry and Heather Newbar, who are my co-founders here at Canine Conservationists. And we're talking about the work that we did with Action for Cheetahs in Kenya as kind of a project wrap-up discussion. I am really, really excited to get to this discussion, but before we get into it, we're going to dive into our science highlight. So this week, we're reading the paper, Sniffing Out Solutions to Enhance Conservation, How Detection Dogs Can Maximize Research and Management Outcomes through the example of koalas. It was written by Romaine Christou, Russell Miller, and Celine Frere. I may be getting some of those last names a little off, and I do apologize. It was published in Australian Zoologist in 2020. And the summary is that they selected, trained, tested, and deployed five dogs, two for koala habitat, looking at koala scats, one for genetic sampling, looking at fresh scats only, and one for the koala itself, and one for koala disease, which is a chlamydia detection. So the dogs enabled both large-scale and fine-scale survey design with 2,370 surveys performed and 1,479 genetic samples collected to date. Detection dogs are subject to similar, although sometimes much lower, limitations in terms of survey biases, such as individual or environmental conditions, and importantly, detection dog handler teams need to be tested regularly for accuracy. Nonetheless, detection dogs can and are helping researchers and land managers collect more robust data sets and better inform conservation decisions. Alliances with unexpected partners in conservation such as police force, civilian science, and timeshare use of dogs might improve the democratization of their use and enable conservation detection dogs to fill their astonishing potential. So just a nice little reminder of all the interesting stuff that our dogs can do. Welcome to the podcast. Why don't both of you um, go ahead and just say hello and remind us your names so that the listeners can figure out who is who. Hi, I'll start. Um, my name is Heather Newtbar, and I'm excited to be talking about our most recent project. Yeah. And I'm Rachel Henry. Great. So yeah, as we said up top, we're just talking about um, the gosh, nearly four months that we've collectively spent in Kenya now with Action for Cheetahs. We are all back stateside and diving headfirst into our field season on wind farms. Um, Heather, why don't you kind of start us out with telling us how it went um, with your time in Kenya? Sure. Yeah. With my time, I had the pleasure or the luxury of having to pick up where you left off. So you had started them off on a great foot and I was just kind of taking over all the good things you had started with them. We were in the Samburu camp by the time I had taken over. So you had helped them adjust to, you know, all the heat and <laughs> um, what that was like. So you kind of had a schedule in place as well. So it was, it was pretty seamless of a transition, I think. But for the, some of the things that we worked on for general training, one of the dogs, Maddie, had a little bit of stranger danger around people on walks or around camp that he wasn't super familiar with. So just sort of counter conditioning and getting him used to people like that. And then Percy, the Malinois, had a little bit of prey drive. Um, So while we were on walks, implementing some recall practice and disengaging from 
all the wonderful little critters you might see um, on our walks. And then also um, worked on some husbandry related tasks, such as kind of taking time and using treats for nail trims or getting them weighed weekly. Also implemented enrichment feedings on their off day or like engagement uh, enrichment activities, just so that they had a little bit of a mind puzzle to do while they were also relaxing. And then for the detection side, um, we incorporated more blank searches while I was there, kind of set it straight so that everyone was on the same page for the various search patterns that they have at their disposal and when we would use each one. And um, I think that was really important to get in place by the time Rachel came, because at that time, their search durations were way longer now that they were adjusted to the heat. So getting them actual practice of what a search would look like, having everyone on the page of grid searches versus linear, which we could go into more if we want to, and continuing the discrimination work that you guys, you started with them as well. I think that's all I had for while I was there. <laughs> yeah, just that. Not much, right? <laughs> Rachel, um, yeah, what did you end up taking over from Heather? And was there anything that you added that was new or were you mostly building on Heather's stuff? Yeah, it was really nice to come in and have kind of a laid out schedule and things that we were working on. I think I did a lot of continuing what Kayla and Heather had started and kind of moving more towards more realistic practice searches. They're a little bit complicated and you kind of need a lot of people and some planning ahead. So we were really only able to do a couple of those. But I think that was probably the biggest thing for me while I was there was getting everyone comfortable with, for example, grid searches and yeah, just kind of moving things towards more, yeah, I guess more realistic searches. I don't think I, I guess I continued, I don't know if we want to talk about the discrimination stuff yet, but I continued where Heather left off with the discrimination exercises and was kind of starting to try out some new things with that. Like, for example, before that had been all off leash and then just one time just to kind of see what would happen, we decided to do one of those on leash. And then we started incorporating multiple negatives with still one positive cheetah scat in there. So kind of just, yeah, I think a lot of expanding on what Heather had already done. Yeah, and I don't think we actually got into the discrimination work much in any of our previous episodes about Kenya. So for everyone at home who may not quite know what we may mean by that is um, because there's a lot of different terms. And one of the things I did notice when we were in Kenya is sometimes they used, they certainly use some different terms than what we would use in the U.S. for something. So with the discrimination work, essentially the problem that we were having is when I got there, both dogs really, but particularly Maddie, were pretty consistently alerting to Caracal and then slightly less consistently alerting to Leopard as well in training scenarios. Um, and there was a consultant who had come to Kenya before us, Leo, who's with Nature Shunsundi, I believe. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but he had started some work on it, but they had really kind of hit a wall as far as trying to figure out what was causing and maintaining this behavior? Because essentially what was happening is when I got to Kenya again, the dogs had and the handlers had only been working in Nairobi for the last six or eight months at this point. So the handlers 
had only been in Nairobi. They'd never actually gone out to Sambu and done field work. The dogs had had some experience doing that. So they were really working in this pretty small scent room that's probably about the size of like your average bedroom. Probably, yeah, like smaller than 15 by 15. So that's part of what Rachel was talking about as far as we were expanding the search areas and getting them to more and more realistic searches. Because when I first got there, Naomi had never even handled a dog. And Edwin had only ever really handled in that setup or on, they had a soccer field that he had done a couple very small searches on. And the protocol that they had kind of started with the dogs was if they put out leopard and the dog alerted to leopard, they would say, no, search on. The dog would leave leopard, go find the cheetah, they would reward and then move on. And the problem was over the course of the last several months, the behavior of the dogs alerting to leopard or caracal was not decreasing. That approach was not really having any success. So we went through um, basically a full extinction protocol. And since my voice sounds like um, junk right now, Heather, do you want to expand on what that protocol kind of looked like and how we started taking them through that? Yeah, I guess it's helpful to know that we had a lot of training samples. They called negatives the caracal and leopard. So we had those as our ones we did not want them to alert to. And we had cheetah. And we had a few different samples of that as well. So we would put out a specific cheetah and a specific negative in various places. And like Kayla said, we had like a little training area. One of them was kind of a bunch of rubble, I guess, for lack of a better word, or like a plastic container, rocks toppled on top of each other, a bunch of sticks, just multiple hide locations. And so we would just do five reps usually with each dog and with each scenario. And if the dog were to false alert on the negative, we had instructed the handlers to just do nothing and wait them out. And Kayla was there when she noticed an extinction burst with Percy. And we had kind of <laughs> nerded out and tracked all that data. So that was kind of the process. And we did see improvement over the time all three of us were there. Um, but that was kind of the process. And then once we waited them out, whether that took minutes <laughs> or down to a few seconds, then we would see them alert on the cheetah scat and then they would get to reward the dog. Yeah. Yeah. No, that excellent description. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was one of those things where um, we're pretty excited and we'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but um, I have not seen many good examples in literature or really in training records of people really using an extinction protocol to go through with a behavior like this. I mean, I think we've probably all seen something similar for a dog who jumps up on guests, but I don't know if I've seen something like this really well described for detection dogs. And it really did seem like it worked at least significantly better than giving the dogs the information. Um, of no, not that one search on, because that seems like it just stacked the deck in the dog's favor to at least try alerting because it couldn't hurt. And uh, yeah, and so Rachel was kind of expanding on some of those next steps that she took. Rachel, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah. So after that kind of initial, those initial setups where there was one cheetah scat and one, say, caracal scat, then we kind of just started expanding on that and moving that to, say, newer areas or like adding a lion scat. So there would be cheetah, which we wanted them to alert to, and then also caracal and lion. Yeah, we kind of just started trying a few different things to expand that data. 
yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And we'll put some of those graphs into the show notes because it is pretty cool to see. Um, you know, I know we had a couple um, false alerts that were very, very long. If you were following along on our Instagram, you did also see some video of us working through that with the dogs. Um, and then we did get to see, even while I was there, a pretty significant drop off in the intensity and duration of our false alerts and the number of false alerts. And we really started getting to the point where the vast majority of the trials, even with a variety of different scats, um, and even with novel cheetah scats and novel leopard and caracal scats, they were generalizing and really getting much more specific with their detection work. So that was really cool to see. And probably the biggest project that at least took up my last couple of weeks while I was there. So I think next that I kind of wanted to talk about is if there was anything that surprised you, Heather, and then Rachel, about how this project went, um, what we ran into, et cetera. Sure. Honestly, I found it very surprising how natural some of the handlers were already with the dogs, having only worked for a few months at that point. Like, I think they started maybe February, March, and I was seeing them in May. And it was pretty incredible. I didn't really know exactly what I was going to be walking into or where they were going to be at. But yeah, by the time I was there and I had a few days overlap with Kayla, but then it was kind of Edwin who had kept me up to speed and showed me what their day days had looked like. And he was already just, I guess, very natural. So that was very surprising, but exciting to see. And then it allowed me to kind of introduce different ideas here and there. Um, but also it was like a give and take. Like I learned things from the dogs there, having really only worked with my dog, Ellie, exclusively. So it was surprising and fun, I guess, to work with um, different dogs that each have different styles, different behaviors, different drives and intensities. So, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with what Heather said about the natural handler skills. I hadn't even realized that Naomi had never really done much dog handling before. Yeah, definitely some really cool natural talent there. And I didn't really, I had like a day or two with Edwin and I was kind of just learning the routine and stuff like that. So I was mostly working with Naomi. But yeah, I was really impressed with a lot of that also. I definitely went into the whole experience kind of just without any expectations like I didn't really same I didn't really know what I was going into or anything so I was kind of like ready for whatever was going on when I got there yeah I mean I think for all three of us it was our first time really coming in in this outside consultant role you know we've all trained our own dogs we've maybe helped train other people's dogs we've handled and you know we've deployed on our own projects but it really is kind of a different beast to come in and try to help this program. And when we were all interviewing and working with Mary and working with the ACK team before we had even gotten to Kenya, you know, there were a lot of questions that we would ask that the answer would kind of be that they didn't know. You know, the whole point of why they needed outside consultants to come in was because they had lost the entirety of their senior scat dog team and were starting fresh. So there were some questions that we would ask about expectations or what needed to be done. And we were kind of creating the map as we walked forward, you know, <laughs> because there just wasn't always that information organizationally. And it was really cool to get to be involved in that. 
So, um, yeah. And then is there anything that you found particularly exciting or inspiring about working with this team and working on this program? Yeah, I think it's really exciting. The enthusiasm that both Edwin and Naomi had, like we came in with new perspectives for them. I know their previous consultants or advisors had sometimes come from different backgrounds. I don't believe they were specifically conservation detection. Some of them were more like security or protection backgrounds. And so we had that difference that we brought in and they seemed to be very receptive to that. And, you know, when we brought in our humane hierarchy sort of ideas as well, um, like I remember meeting Naomi because she didn't come. She was on her off this whole week prior to like when I was just with Edwin. And so when she returned, she was telling me all the books she had been reading and she was listening to a podcast and would pause and ask me a question. You know, she was like very eager to learn, which was really exciting seeing, you know, such young handlers at the beginning of their career at an organization that I feel like can only go up from here. And from talking with Mary, there are a lot of other potentials for the scat dog program or uses in general in Kenya. That's part of the main reason why she started her research in Kenya, because no one was, you know, helping cheetahs in Kenya. So now that they have a dog team there, there's other, I guess that kind of gets to our next question of like looking forward with ACK, but just kind of all the future collaboration and projects with other researchers she knows with, you know, leopard projects or wind farms down there just yeah i think it's just really exciting the possibilities of where it could go from there yeah i definitely felt inspired to come back and like kind of refreshed and inspired to come back and work on things with my own dog um since i relatively recently got a new dog and overall she's amazing and wonderful but of course there are always little things that you have to work through um and so we've you know tried to work through some of those issues and have made a lot of progress, but there were definitely some things that I was feeling maybe a little bit frustrated with or had just kind of put on the back burner as like, well, it's not a huge deal, so I don't really want to work on it. But like watching Naomi's bond with the dogs and also watching the dogs progress with things really inspired me to be able to come back and work on some of those same things and some different things with my own dog, for example, watching Percy's progress on Prey Drive, I was like, oh yeah, like now I can see how all that effort that you put in really does pay off. And so I was a little bit more inspired to come back and like really work hard on those things that might take a little bit of extra at first, but then it really does pay off. And I was definitely, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I was definitely inspired by Edwin's and Naomi's relationships with the dogs. The dogs just really seemed to like them and they liked the dogs and I think it made for a really nice working relationship and also inspired me to come back. Not that I hadn't before, but just like <laughs> reminded me to continue enjoying my own dog, just the fun parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and gosh, I mean, the way that Percy looks at Edwin, like, I hope we can all <laughs> maybe find a human who looks at us that way, but at least find a dog who looks at you the way that Percy looks at Edwin. Like, good Lord. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Those are really good points. I think for me, I was so frustrated with the caracal and leopard question, the negatives question, this distraction question. 
and had at one point basically been like, okay, I mean, this problem has been going on for years, as far as we can tell from training logs. Maybe you guys are just stuck with it. Maybe you're just in a position where you're going to collect some other other scats. And um, they weren't necessarily super concerned about that as a problem, but it was something that really sat poorly with me. And I was there for the longest. I was there for nearly seven weeks, but I took about a week off when my mom visited and we went on a safari to the Masai Mara. And I think it was definitely one of those things where having that opportunity to be really deep in this problem and really focused on something and feeling a little stuck with it and then getting to leave and then come back, I was able to then kind of come at the problem and be like, no, actually just ignoring this. And, you know, we've been hired to come here. We flew all the way around the world to try to help this team out. We can't just throw up our hands with this problem. And um, I think that's also, as you said, Rachel, a good reminder, sometimes with our own dogs and with our own training problems, I find that I often turn into the best version of my dog trainer self when I ask myself what I would do if someone was paying me to solve the problem, (laughs) or if I was talking to a friend or a client or a loved one about um, their own dog exhibiting some behavior. I generally much better at dealing with stuff that I am and may just ignore stuff with my own dogs. I think we're all really excited to see where ACK and, you know, particularly Naomi and Edwin get to go in the future. What are some of the things that we're looking forward to for them? I'm really excited to hear about their like first real search. Yeah. And that first field find is going to be pretty exciting. I We better get the WhatsApp group message better <laughs> blow up for that. <laughs> go ahead, Heather. Yeah. I'm excited just to like be in touch with them. We have weekly meetings that we're still a part of and they actually have a potential new dog that could be joining the group. We'll see how, you know, his assessment and beginning stages go, but I think that could be a good learning experience for them. I'm ex- I know they're both excited about the possibility. So both Percy and Maddie were already pretty much trained when they joined the program. So it, it would be a new challenge and exciting thing for them to start a fresh dog and imprint them on odor. And we're all happy to be there if they have any questions that arise. And I'm sure um, they will. But yeah, that's an exciting thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And especially, you know, I think sometimes we forget, like at least all three of us, and I think many of the conservation detection dog folks here in the house, we're all handler trainers. We've not all of us, but many, many of us, we've sourced our own dog, whether it's a rescue or a puppy, we've trained them ourselves, and then we handle them. And that's not actually the model in a lot of the working dog world. It's pretty common to be a police canine handler, but you didn't train the dog. It's very common to be a Navy SEAL or, you know, bomb dog detection, like customs dog, whatever handler, but you didn't train the dog and it's your job to kind of maintain, but you also intermittently or regularly meet with the trainer to problem solve and troubleshoot. And that's not a model that any of the three of us have interacted with all of us own and have trained our own dogs. That doesn't mean we don't bounce ideas around, but it'll be really, really exciting to hopefully get to see Edwin and Naomi, whether it's with this current prospect dog or with a future prospect dog, kind of to see them get to make that transition from handlers to trainers, um, because they've been doing a lot of great work that's moving them in that direction, but there's really no substitute for getting to work with a totally green dog. Yeah. And I just briefly met that dog kind of as I was leaving. I think the thought it was just starting to be bounced around of potentially starting to train him. Um, But he's really sweet, really smart. I think 
there's potential there. Who knows? We'll see. But regardless of what happens with him, I think that that'll, I'm really excited to hear about Edwin and Naomi working with him. And I think that's a really cool experience for them as trainers. Yeah. So we've just got a couple more questions here. Um, Heather, why don't you start with, um, what are some of the things that you learned? Like, what did you learn either from the dogs, from the handlers, from the experience? Kind of take that in whatever direction you'd like. Sure. Yeah, I kind of touched on it, but I think learning went both ways. Um, Like I said, it allowed me to work with a different dog than my own and see what works and what doesn't work and in real time have to figure out what you could, you know, do alternatively. Also, I got to see, yeah, I've never worked with a Malinois before. So working with Percy, she really has uh, no off switch. Even if you're just like petting her, if you stop, she's on top of you for more pets. Yeah, just that intensity was really fun to work with. I also think it was very different from any other region or environment, I guess, that I have worked in before. we typically are in the Midwest for our wind farm searches. So you get, you know, the occasional risky animal as a snake, or I guess there are mountain lions around here. But yeah, you don't have to have spotters around for lion or elephant or, you know, any other, uh, insert any other African species out there. So aside from the wildlife that you have to be cautious of, just the weather, we really weren't able to work the dogs, you know, from maybe 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning until four o'clock. It's just way too hot and unsafe to work during the hottest times. So just getting used to that. And especially here, like, or especially there, just using or learning how they came up with the system that they use for searches, primarily being safety focused. But like I said, having spotters on either side to look out for those wild animals. And um, also I... I think it was helpful that we were able to impart our little spin for what might be the best compromise that keeps everyone safe, but also, you know, suits the dogs the best way possible. I know when we had first gotten there, they had their handbook showing the dogs start downwind and we had kind of backwards problem solved and figured out that they first wrote the handbook using resources from mine detection and search and rescue, which totally makes sense why you would want to start downwind and get to you your source as soon as possible. But in the conservation world, you typically want to start upwind so you're not overlapping or being pulled off your transect all the way upwind for an item or your odor. So just kind of working together and collaborating on ideas. So it was a lot of give and take. Yeah. I was also going to mention working with a Malinois for the first time. She was a lot of fun. I also think it was really interesting to see, yeah, how things were done differently, like their study design and their search patterns. Um, I guess I feel like the grid search that Heather mentioned a little bit earlier that we kind of differentiated the different ways that they might go about searching an area that seemed like kind of similar to what I was expecting, but I wouldn't have expected there to be. Yeah, I learned a lot of different ways that you could potentially do that. And yeah, just like different study designs are always so interesting. Yeah. And of course, just fun. Like they also just do like fun agility with their dogs. Like 
jumping through tires or going around a pole. And yeah, fun little daily things like that also. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really admired about what they did and what they do really well was a lot of their husbandry work and, you know, the daily health checks and some of the record keeping that they do is just, it's really, really well done. And I think one of the weaknesses that at least I have as a handler, and I think is pretty easy to fall into potentially when it's your own dog, is kind of a lack of some of that record keeping and husbandry and those routines that when a dog is owned by an organization or passed between handlers by necessity, I think you tend to systematize that and you tend to get good at it. And it was kind of cool to get to see a lot of the stuff that they did and see how I could apply that to my own dogs again, even though I'm not necessarily handing my dogs off to other handlers or caretakers very often. And the teamwork overall was really good. And their communication and those systems overall were in a really good place that I think we could learn a lot from. And I think for me, the flip side, because I had lived and worked with a Malinois for a while before and handled a couple Malinois. So Percy was not quite as new to me, but Maddie actually was because he is actually in a lot of ways, kind of a lower drive dog than what you would expect for this line of work. He does work well for his toy and he's very happy and he's an excellent worker, but really getting to see kind of at the opposite end of things when um, you've got a dog that you didn't purely select for drive that goes off the charts, kind of seeing how successful that dog can be was really, really cool. And, you know, then on that, on that same side, I think seeing the really different backgrounds that Edwin and Naomi had and how green they both are as handlers, yet seeing how much they brought to the table and how much they were able to offer was also really exciting. So um, this might be the hardest question, but what are some of the, the things that we're most excited to do better next time? Whether that's if we go forward with ACK and come back again in a year, I think we're all hopeful and excited that that may materialize or, you know, with future consultant type projects. Are there anything that comes to mind for either of you there? I guess I had one note. I mean, it totally would be project specific, but Mary had mentioned it might have been a good idea to allow more time and space between each consultant coming in to let the handlers have some time off and also process and implement what they learned with that person. And then by the time the next person comes in, they may have specific questions that they learned while they had that hands-on alone time and then it could be you know something that you deal with the next person Um, and it seems to be helpful that we had three of us there but yes that was just one thing I had noted for an improvement possibly but yeah I definitely agree with that yeah 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 that is a good point I think yeah particularly because we also just it was so much information so quickly for all of them that having those gaps, like I think for us, it was best to have those overlaps. I know it made me feel really good to know that I wasn't just going to leave. Like Heather got there for a couple of days, and I was able to download and then and then go. Um, but yeah, potentially for Edwin and Naomi, it wasn't actually best to do it that way. Yeah, I feel like the three of us communicated pretty often and pretty well. But I mean, there's always room for more, and I kind of wonder if we had done like a daily or every two days or every week or something like that communication with like all of the consultants together kind of saying like these are the things that we worked on yesterday and today and this is the progress we've made I guess kind of just like a a more like flowing more frequently updated communication of what we were doing maybe now I'm just brainstorming 
<laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that I noticed that I found was a little tricky was basically because of the internet slash cell service um, yeah. problems uh, with Samburu as a field site, because Kenya is a country that has excellent cell service and Wi-Fi in general, depending on where you are. Like Nairobi is a tech capital of Eastern Africa. But when we were out in Samburu, um, it's pretty limited. So while I was just praising their record keeping, one of the things that maybe would have helped, um, but wasn't really available to us is if we had had more of daily updated training logs in Google Drive or something like that, where we could more easily kind of peek at things and share them back and forth and comment and, you know, maybe even work together more asynchronously through the cloud. But because of internet limitations in Kenya, like most of their training logs were written in a notebook. So unless you're physically there in Samburu, you can't necessarily look over the training logs and um, get a grasp of what's going on and what's been happening in the days or weeks leading up to your work there. So that might be something that if we were to end up back in Kenya, we'll prioritize trying to figure out a solution for. And potentially with other projects, it just won't end up being as much of an issue because you might have internet there. The other things that I had kind of jotted down, and we did do a pretty good job of this. And again, I don't think this was a necessarily a failing on anyone's part, but as I mentioned, because of the specifics of how and why we were brought in, there were a couple times where I found myself wishing that we had kind of some more clear success markers, goalposts, um, key, uh, what does KPI stand for? Key something. It, it, like uh, Basically, you know, something that- Key performance indicators. Key performance indicators. Like it would have been really nice, I think, to have some of that sort of stuff. And I think going forward, it will be really nice to try to ensure that we've got some of those things, whether it's with ACK or as outside consultants elsewhere, um, because there was quite a bit of kind of coming in and looking around and trying to find the gaps and then triage on our own. And that is absolutely what we were hired for. But it um, there were times where I found myself wanting to get pulled down and working on a specific project or a specific question and then realizing that the priorities for the program and what was important to Mary or Edwin or Naomi or Cosmos or whoever actually lay elsewhere. And that constant communication is key. And I think we did a pretty good job of it. But I think going forward, really ensuring that we know exactly what makes our time as consultants successful for the people that are hiring us will be really helpful. And we did a pretty good job here, but having that extremely clear is nice. You know, it helps you really know what you need to work on and ensure that you're not getting off track and ensure that you're doing the best that you can to serve the program and the dogs and their needs best. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you don't know what you don't know. So it is more on us to have that benchmarks or things that we want to instill on the new handlers because they're sponges ready to take in the information, but they don't know what they're missing um, without us having either experienced it in the field or have a checkbox or checkmark or a box that we want to make sure we've covered with them. So totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like an example of this would be the first time I actually got to witness a full linear search was probably two thirds or three quarters of my way through my time in Kenya. And I never got to do a full grid search. So there was kind of a lot of working with the dogs and working with the handlers and trying to build up endurance and build up field skills without actually knowing exactly what that search setup was going to look like. As soon as we got out and got to do the full linear search, and I wasn't just reading about it in their manual, that really kind of clicked into place for me. A lot of 
gaps that we needed to work on over the remainder of my time and then also passing off towards Heather and Rachel. And I think there's always going to be hiccups like that anytime you're coming in as an outside consultant. But um, certainly just trying to figure out, okay, let's do a mock linear search sooner rather than later. Let's kind of really get out and figure out what this needs to look like at the end so that we can backfill. And as consultants, you know, it is our job partially to backfill and figure out what needs to be done, but really knowing what success is going to look like will help us get there. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I hadn't put that into words in my head yet, but I think you're totally right that knowing what a successful endpoint or like a further along progression point looks like, yeah, we could have lined things out a little bit better or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, maybe slightly more efficiently. And even, you know, still questions about, you know, they're working towards getting the dogs ready to help with the National Cheetah Survey. And there could be things that still we've missed because there could be husbandry and like life skill behaviors that the dogs are going to need as part of the, I'm just thinking of this now, like being on the road for the national survey that we didn't even necessarily think of as far as like, oh gosh, do we know for sure that Percy is ready to sleep in a tent with her handler while they're on the road? We don't necessarily know that. And that's something we could have been working on, but um, they've got a year to work on it. So hopefully, (laughs) hopefully they'll get there. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that we wanted to bring up or any fun stories you wanted to share about your time in Kenya before we wrap up here? I guess not dog related. <laughs> yeah, tell Go us about ahead. your giraffes, Rachel, and then Heather jump in with whatever you had. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the giraffe. Uh, so Naomi and I were on our morning walk, and we were. I think we had already turned around. We were walking back towards camp, and we stopped to take a water break, and. I don't even remember exactly how we realized that they were there, but we just saw some giraffe heads sticking just up above the trees in the distance, but not that far away. That was really cool. Also, not dog or wildlife related, but I got to see a totally dry river go turn into a completely flowing river. And that was amazing to watch. Yeah, I think it was just really fun to see even what we did on off days, like when it's Saturday, it's typically back day, which means go down to the river and the dogs get to play in the water. And we collected water for camp. It also was interesting to see what camp life was like, just everyone living together, cooking meals together, how when Rachel was there, you know, they needed to have most of the team involved in a search to practice what real life searches would be like. So just really realizing it, it truly does take a team to do the project that they have. Yeah. I guess the other thing that we wanted to mention is that I had said we were collecting data on each of those discrimination trials and practice we were doing for that work. And we have cool little graphs that we're um, <laughs> putting in the show notes and we hope to kind of consolidate the data, analyze it is maybe something Rachel's excited about. <laughs> I think yeah, she loves the data. <laughs> <laughs> the graphs were pretty <laughs> And we'll see if we can get it published somewhere. Cause like Kayla said, it, there might not be all that much out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to figure out how to get that published and, uh, and it'll be a different sort of paper, you know, uh, I'm sure it's out there somewhere and we just haven't seen it, but you know, there's so much of the published research in the conservation dog realm. It's kind of like the science highlight we had today, which is like, yep, dogs can help with koalas. We just need more money. 
<laughs> you know, it seems like that's a huge proportion of the type of paper that's published. So I'm really excited to hopefully be able to uh, share this. And even if we can't get it into a peer-reviewed journal, um, I think we'll be able to get it out and help others with that intel going down the line uh, more and more. Yeah, I think my funnest Kenya story or my wildest Kenya story is probably not, it actually didn't take place while I was with the ACK team, but is that while I was in the Maasai Mara through, uh, I was staying with Nai Dura camp and the um, this absolutely amazing guy to ping, he managed to get us to watch a full cheetah hunt from start to finish. So we were um, hanging out with, there's three male cheetahs left from a five male coalition that was known as the Maasai Mara Fast Five. They're about seven years old now. And unfortunately, the last year or two of them have um, passed on, but there's three left and we were hanging out with them where actually they were um, attempting to mate with a female. The female snuck off and left the boys. And um, we kind of hung out with the boys for a little bit longer and paying our guide just kind of kept looking at their behavior and watching how they were moving and what they were up to. And he kept saying, they're going to hunt. They're going to hunt. They're hungry. They're going to hunt. And we were like, okay, they're going to hunt. Cool. Let's do it. And it was probably two hours of really intensive, quiet observation before they did ultimately end up stalking a zebra herd and taking down a zebra calf, which is pretty unusual. Zebras are um, at the much, the large, large end of prey for cheetahs. Um, but they will, these coalitions of males will occasionally do it. And um, yeah, actually getting to see a cheetah run full tilt and getting to see the strategy because we think of cheetahs as solitary hunters, but these males do tend to hunt in coalitions. Um, it was a little gory and a little intense kind of towards the end, but actually, and a lot of hurry up and wait, because as I said, it was about two hours of watching these cheetahs, like every five minutes, they take one step. And then they lie down in the grass and disappear. So you're actually just staring at the savannah and can't see the cheetahs at all. And then it's like, a, I can't even tell you, it's got to be like less than 10 seconds of a chase of these animals running at 40, 50 miles an hour to take down something it was just really cool to have the privilege to get to see these animals that we spend so much time, we spent so much time with their poop. And then getting to see the animal itself was pretty neat. Um, did not get to see any caracal or leopard or any of the other uh, pesky animals that were bothering us in our negatives work, but that's okay. Uh, hopefully next time. So, well, I think without further ado, we're going to give everyone a chance to go back to their Saturdays. For everyone at home, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and um, learned a lot and you're feeling inspired to get outside and be a canine conservationist in whatever way suits your passions and skill set. You can find show notes, donate to Canine Conservationist, and join our Patreon over at canineconservationist.org. You can follow Heather at Smelly Canine Ellie, as well as on the Canine Conservationist Instagram. And Rachel, do you want people to follow you on Instagram, or are you a little more private there? No, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. Yeah. How do you uh, uh, just go ahead and spell it for people? H-A-M-M-M-R-E. Yeah. I'm not very good about posting on there, but I need to post more. <laughs> yeah. You might get some occasional Suki pictures, but we also <laughs> all do share that um, that canine conservationist Instagram. So again, thanks so much for listening and we will be back in your buds next week. Bye.